This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. There's obviously no shortage of singers out right now, and don't get me wrong, many are talented in their own right. But in my humble opinion, there's no one quite like Grammy-nominated artist Jesse Reyes. I don't know if it's that raspy, soulful voice or visceral lyrics and videos, but Jessie has truly carved a unique lane for herself with her two EPs and now her first studio album, Before Love Came to Kill Us. In this episode, Jessie breaks down the hardest song she's ever had to write, why collaboration only goes so far with her, and how she's working to prove herself to herself. Well, welcome, welcome. And, you know, I know that, you know, you grew up around music like a lot of people do, you know, whether it's, you know, their parents play music all the time or, you know, singing or playing their own instruments, whatever it might be. But I feel like not everyone turns their love of music or passion of music into an actual career. So for you, when was that switch? When when did you say, like, I can and want to make this into a career? I, I feel like I knew at a young age mm-hmm. um i knew i like i, d- I didn't really want to go to college i knew i just wanted to do music but the moment i think that i got motivated to go full gear and there's a few one one of them that sticks out is i was living in florida at the time and i was disheartened because i wasn't really making any headway mm. and I was trying to rebuild my network of musicians because I kind of had one in Toronto mm-hmm. of, of like the best that I could do by myself. So like open mics and musicians that of I'd course. meet there and busking and musicians that I'd meet there and like closet sessions, which were real life oftentimes where people would just put egg cartons on the inside of your closet. Hmm, right. And now that's a booth. I mean, hey, we're working with that now. So mm-hmm. in our podcast studio, so you got to make it work. Egg cartons, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I was uh, in Florida and I heard BJ the Chicago Kids oh, song Dream 2. And that song was like audible gasoline for me. It's just a good nice. song, and it just kind of put things into perspective of like, man, nothing else makes me happy like that. Nowhere else feels like home but music. Right. So why not? I love that. And for you, I mean, because I know that you're what, like, you're first generation Colombian, and you know, you're born in Canada, but your parents are from Colombia, mm-hmm. and which I think would provide a really um, interesting backdrop for for kind of musical influence because you know Colombian music is has such a rich history and then you have the R&B and hip hop scene in Canada mm-hmm. so how would you say that backdrop influenced your sound and the music that you wanted to create I think a lot mm, even like subconsciously because it's kind of just in my blood it's mm. in me already yeah. you know I grew up with a lot of cumbia a lot of salsa a lot of vallenato Celia Cruz Alquimia mm-hmm. and then before R&B and hip hop my brother put me on reggae. Uh-huh. And then I was like, Bob, Harrington, <laughs> Tanya. <laughs> like, I just started falling in love. And then Biggie and Pac. And then Destiny's Child. Of course. When I, fo- when I found Destiny's Child, <laughs> it was like rap. love. Yeah. What? I was a rap. <laughs> I, that's, I, like, I can't tell you how many talent show performances got choreographed to Survivor and to say my name. <laughs> all those things. But, um... The cool thing about Toronto is that you can walk 10 blocks and hear 10 different languages. You can walk 10 blocks and you got 10 different countries. That's what it feels like. And it's got this sort of culture there that you're encouraged to wave both flags. Hmm. You're encouraged to wave your parents' flag and your own flag at the same height, like hella high and happy. 
I love that. That's cool. That's really dope. I feel like a formative part of your come up as an artist was going through Toronto's Remix Project. Yes, that place changed my life. Yeah, and so I was going to ask, I mean, like, like if you can just tell me a little bit about it and, you know, how you got involved with that organization. Sure. Uh, the Remix Project is a program for at-risk youth in the city that just help facilitate kids that don't have access to studios or don't have money for studio time or don't have access to mentorship. Before I auditioned, mm-hmm. I was bartending. I think I was 21. And I was Skyping with Doc McKinney. Mm-hmm. Doc McKinney uh, is one of the main producers behind a lot of the weekend stuff. Yeah, I got connected to him through old management and old artists that I used to have before I that I used to have before I left Toronto. Mm-hmm. Right, me and him stayed together. Like we we worked together and we stayed in contact. And I would always just learn a lot from him. And I remember we were skyping and I was complaining about producers taking long to send beats, complaining about having to feel like I was starting that network all over in Florida, right. complaining, complaining, complaining. <laughs> and he let me go off and then he was like, are you done? I'm like, yeah. He was like, Jesse. <laughs> and he said this quote that I'll never forget in my whole life. He said, you got to do what you can, where you're at, with what you got. If I'm not mistaken, he's an MLK quote. And it was like. That's a good one. Hit. And I was like, man, you're right. So then that day, I linked with a, or I, I contacted a homie who had a homie that was <laughs> living in Florida yeah. that used to shoot a lot. So linked him and then went to the beach and shot a music video there. And then I know, obviously, like if I was complaining about producers sending stuff, I know that when you don't pay somebody, and I was broke, you don't pay somebody, people take long to send back yeah. stuff. So I just told dude, I was like, listen, man, just give me the footage. <laughs> send me the footage and I'll figure it out. And he's like, word? I was like, yeah. So he sent it. And then Do you know how to edit? Did you know how to edit? No, I okay. had no right. damn clue. <laughs> 48 hours I stayed awake Googling and YouTubing how to edit on iMovie. So it took me 48 hours to edit a three-minute video on God. I didn't sleep. <laughs> stayed up and did it because I was so amped to finally like be, like feel like I was in my vocation, feel like I'm working towards yeah. what I feel like my heart just needs, just needs right. music. So... Make the video. I'm amped. I sleep. Because <laughs> I've been up, yeah. Yeah. And then I spammed everyone that I could. I spammed. This is when on Facebook, you used to be able to like, for example, if someone worked at Z103, you used mm-hmm. to be able to put Z103. And if anyone had it affiliated under their employer, their name would pop up. Oh, right, 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 right. So I did that and I just spammed. Like, I mean, I have 2,000 friends on there. I think I spammed like 1,500 <laughs> of anybody. If you worked with music videos, if you worked with like uh, like anything. And one of the people that got it ended up becoming one of my managers. Nice. And he's the one who was like, hey, at the time, he's like, he, I'm the first client he's ever managed. He, he never did management. He was in music videos. And he was like, yo, there's this thing called the Remix Project that you should know about. And let me know. And then, uh, like, a couple of months passed. And then I heard the dream, mm-hmm. the BJ, the Chicago kid song. And I was like, man, what am I doing? I was like, yo, about that Remix Project <laughs> thing. And I just so happened to ask, like, within the couple of weeks that they were doing final auditions yeah. for the next round. So I begged my bar manager to give me the weekend off. I got a $50 flight on Spirit Airlines. Oof. Yeah. Spirit can come through sometimes. Can like come through. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Like, dead ass. I took, like, a little pint-sized backpack so that they wouldn't <laughs> charge me more. And then auditioned. Came back to Florida, worked a few more shifts, made some money. And then... And then the remix project changed everything, man. Cause See, and that's what I was gonna ask. Cause I feel like you know, when it comes to like the re- like or something like the remix project, how would you say that helped you develop skills wise? Because I think a lot of people can have raw talent and really you know push themselves through that, and they can make it work. But 
I do that I do think that there's something to having an organization that can help you structure your craft and do all that so how would you say the remix project helped you as an artist every way in every way they provide mentorship so I was working a lot with Daniel Daly from the vision mm. what they do in essence is give you an example of this dream that creatives have mm. because of the society that we live in I feel like institutions are made out to facilitate a life for creatives usually people say have the plan b have the plan b because it's not going to work but it's not true because unless you're a lawyer or a doctor or something that requires a, a diploma or a piece of paper and you have a blueprint that if i do this i'm going to be successful that's lit but if you're creative you don't have that you're just flying blind so the remix project actually gives you multiple examples because they bring in mentors that have lived this that have lived this that have done this flying blind figure it out as you go kind of hustle right. and it's almost like when I was a kid and I used to watch TV and I'd see an award show or a music video and I felt conflicted because half of me was like, this is lit. And the other half of me was like, what the fuck am I on this couch? I don't want to <laughs> be on this couch. The Remix Project gives that person and puts it in front of you. And now you're like, oh shit, you bleed like me. You breathe like me. We're made of the same thing. Right. It's, a, it's a possibility. I can do it. On top of the mentorship, on top of the free studio time, on top of um, workshops with... Uh, managers of other artists that, like I, I remember specifically hearing he's like you're gonna this is these are the five things that you need after you've already built a buzz after you've already built it you're gonna need a lawyer you're gonna need an agent you're gonna need a manager you're gonna and just right. like said those things that I started connecting the dots to what they taught me years later but it was dope to have that like early lesson of what was to come mm. and also be given tools to use in the moment yeah it was, absolutely. It was dope i love it. and you know one thing about your art that i love is your voice itself because i think Thank like you. i know when i'm listening to even if i'm just like on spotify and i'm just like you know it just goes on shuffle i know i'm listening to a track that comes up of yours because you have such a distinct voice that i love and so Thanks. it could honestly lend itself to really any genre if you think about it so for you, I mean, how did you go about developing your sound around that voice? I mean, because I'm sure you've heard it before that you have a really unique voice. So, like, how did you go about really developing your whole sound around Thank you. your voice? Mm. Or was that even a thought for you? It, it definitely happened because I was an awful singer when I was a kid. What? I was so bad. That Are you I, serious? Absolutely. I didn't know what a key was. <laughs> I didn't know how to, like, not at all. And... I was going to say, I feel like your awful is, like, somebody else's, like, good. No. <laughs> like, I feel like your awful is probably my good. No, <laughs> no. It was honestly, like, I, I would switch keys in songs, and I wouldn't realize that I was doing it. <laughs> I think that part of my development, I owe a lot to people that... You want me to wait? Yeah. Part of my development that I feel like I owe a lot is... I, I owe a lot, Sorry. I owe a lot of my development to people that saw potential, mm -hmm. despite my flaws. Right. I remember going for an audition when I was like 16, 17 years old and I was stupid nervous. I was so nervous <laughs> that the song that I sang when they were like, oh, it's lit. I sang, um, I'm going down. Of course. I was so nervous that they were like, oh, you love the song? I'm like, yeah, I love that Lauren song. Like, stupid. Oh, so man. nervous that I did that. <laughs> By the way, I'm a Lauren fan. I'm a Mary fan. Of course I messed it up. Like, in my nerves. And they were like, oh, my God, that's not like the right artist. And I was like, oh, my God, that's not <laughs> Nervous as shit. I leave that room with my guitar defeated 
broken. There might as well have been a cloud on top of my head. Nah, there's worse mistakes. And I, and one of the judges ran out, and I was about to go back up. And my parents, my my pops was waiting for me upstairs. I think my mom was there too. Anyways, he ran out and he was like, "Hey, don't feel so bad. I feel like you have something special. Let's work." And yeah, I remember he came to the house, met my parents and stuff, and. He's the one that was like, stop switching keys. Because what would happen was when I would be at the break of my voice, mm-hmm. I would switch to a lower octave. Right. In order not to explore that. Or I would switch keys if the song wasn't on. And he was mm-hmm. like, you got it. He's like, you want to be great, you have to mimic the greats. You want to be great, study the greats. So then he would put on like a Beyonce anthem when she would sing the anthem or Alicia right. Keys runs and stuff and be like, like this, like similar to that. And those things helped me so much like yeah. it's not like we had a lot of lessons we had maybe two three three vocal lessons together this guy named Tyson Frey from yeah. Toronto but it was really really influential it helped me and I've just kind of applied that to a lot anytime that I'm in the room with a legend anytime I've been lucky enough to work with someone I admired like Babyface it's great to walk in there like a sponge and be able to apply that and say yeah. I'm gonna learn from a legend today right that's how it happened I just learned to take criticism constructively mm-hmm that's a big thing because I feel like sometimes people can get, especially artists, can get really sensitive about your art. I, I mean, am sensitive can, about I mean, my <laughs> shit. Shout out, Erica. I am. Don't get. I am. I went it out, but like about the instrument, like tuning yeah. the instrument. I think that that's important. That's true. That, but I was gonna say. So on the flip side of that, when it comes to your songwriting, because I mean, you do have this amazing voice, but then you also have these amazing words that you that you match with it. So for you, how would you say you've grown? as a storyteller going from you know writing what poetry and songs in high school to now like how would you say you've evolved as a storyteller Mm, there's something i learned in the remix project that really Mm -hmm. helped me grow and it was daniel daly we had like a session in the morning because my slot in the studio was like 11 to 2 p.m Mm -hmm. i went in there and i was running through a song and then he sat me down he's like jess you gotta learn how to start critiquing yourself objectively Look at the song. If there's any redundancies, cut it. It's like you need to cut the fat. And I never forgot that. It's such an important skill because it's so easy for me to do that in others peop- in other people's song. In other sorry, it's so easy for me to objectively hear someone else's song, right. but to do that to yourself, like you have to really make a conscious effort because you're going to have a bias. Why? Because no parent thinks their kid is ugly. Of course, right. <laughs> you know? So you just have to step back and look at it and be like, okay, if this sentence says the same thing as this sentence, it's got to go. If this says the same thing as this, this has to go. And then also he said something else to me that mattered a lot. He was like, you have to, you're, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no story or sentiment mm-hmm. that hasn't been spoken about. The only way that, like what makes something special, what makes a song elegant is how you say it. Right. So for example, Everybody Put Your Hands Up is in a billion songs. Of course. Put your pinky finger to the roof. That, all he's saying is put your hands up. That's true. But he's just saying it in a different way. That is true. Pharrell's, um, along if you feel like happiness is the truth. You know what that is? That's if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> that is. <laughs> That's that in a different way, said in a more elegant, eloquent like. It's just big facts, actually. Yeah. yeah so I, I've, I learned that too. You never would have thought about it like that. Mm. <laughs> There's but, just so many like like diamonds in the sky. There's the twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's just saying the same thing, but just in right. a different way. How how do you how do you say that in a different way? <laughs> 
where do you start when you sit down with a song? Like how I love you so sort of like walk me through one of the songs that you've written and just like what like what is that process for you? Like how do you find your way into an emotion or a feeling really and make something that can be, you know, abstract into something concrete as a song? It's always very natural. Like in the studio or in my bedroom, it has usually the it's usually the music that has to come first mm. because I'm talking about my life and my truth. But when I hear the music, it's whatever emotion it elicits. And the emotion that it elicits is going to come from my life. And when mm. I'm in, in that moment, what kind of headspace I'm in in that moment, I don't really like to aim. Like all those things that I'm saying about happy and stars and stuff, those are things that I've been able to connect after the fact. So after the song is done and be like, okay, the song has to tell me what it is. And then I can edit. But I can't do that reverse. Mm -hmm. Mind you, there are legends that I've worked with that do it that way. Right. That are so meticulous that they walk in and say, all right, this person is looking for a song. How do we make a song that's pitched to them? What's missing on their album? And then A&Rs might let us know and we're like, okay, so we can write to aim to that. But I, like... In all honesty, I hate doing that because when you do that, I feel like I'm aiming. And when I aim, it's as if the circuit gets broken because my preference is heart to mouth to page, mm -hmm. heart to mouth to pen. But aiming is heart to mouth to brain to pen. And then I feel mm -hmm. like it gets diluted. So I like to just keep it basic. Whatever feeling the vibrations of the music give me, that's what comes out. And it might be shit, but <laughs> what I like is doing five of them in a, in a studio session. So, like, we'll bust out five ideas. And then, as, as opposed to spending eight hours a studio session focused on one song that you might hate by the end of the session because you're too close, because True. perspective won't let you tell you that your kid is ugly. Right. But at least if you make five, then it's easier to see which kid is, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Natural is selection rocking. is going right. to take place. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You've written the songs about a lot of different things. I mean, I feel like you obviously break up songs like Figures. You've done, you know, you talked about Double Standards in Society with Body Count, one of my personal favorites. I love Thank that. you. Love that video too, but we'll get there with your videos because your you. videos are sick. And, you know, of course, like sexual harassment, gatekeeper, and, you know, even immigration policy in sort of a roundabout way with like Far Away. And I think like, I'm just wondering, I mean, are there any emotions or experiences that you haven't found a way into yet? Or one that was presented like a particular challenge of like, what, like, how am I going to wrap my mind around this or how to make it work? I guess like what's been your biggest challenge in creating a song? There's one. There's a song called Kill Us that's on the album that's mm. probably the hardest song that I've ever Why? made. Because it wasn't so much the sentiment that was difficult to get out, but more so speaking structurally, mm -hmm. like formulaically and musical yeah. theory and all that shit. I made the verse and I made the chorus separately. So I switched time signatures mm. and I don't know theory. So when I would play it, I could do it, but I couldn't really blend it. So I ended up having to go to the studio and my engineer and one of his friends that's a insane guitar player was able to help me find the pocket for both and, and blend them mm. together. But I don't I have a difficult time writing happy songs. <laughs> Why is that? I feel like when I'm happy, it's an emotion I like to be in. So my body doesn't automatically react. And since I approach music as something that's natural, like why I breathe, when I'm sad, it's like having eaten a poison cake. You don't think about throwing <laughs> up. You just throw up. Right. But when you eat a salad, your body's like, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so you don't, you don't do it. Yeah. That's fair. 
that's fair. But I feel like, you know, even even in that, I think that there are certain things that are like, <laughs> I mean, would you ever challenge yourself in doing something and making, I guess, not to say there's anything wrong with the music you're making, because I personally love it, but I feel like would if you challenge yourself to make like a, I guess like a happy record, a quote unquote happier album, yeah. do you feel like that that would be a good exercise in stepping outside of your comfort zone a bit? Yo, I'm so blessed with the fact that I still get to write for others and work with others because some yeah. of my happy like they'll come out they just don't come out as often right. and sometimes when they come out it's almost like i made a sweater but the sweater looks nice but when i put it on it doesn't fit right. <laughs> like one kiss is a happy song one kiss right. is a happy ass song <laughs> i'm happy it went to someone that was happier than me you know so um it just depends love in the dark is probably one of the but it's also it's bittersweet love in the dark is tender but it's a more positive side of love than mm -hmm. what i usually talk about yeah Mm, I have fun. I have fun doing it. It's just, just not as often. Right. So you have your your debut studio full length album coming out, and I feel like it's been it's been interesting because I think you've been you've had a very consistent um, output of music with your two EPs. Like one, the kiddo came out in two thousand seventeen. I want to say. And then you had, uh, what was it, but Being Human in Public, which was 2018. Mm -hmm. And now you have your debut album. Mm -hmm. So for you, I mean, talk to me about that, that kind of lead up to this, because I feel like most people will probably just go ahead and maybe put out a couple of singles and then their debut album. But like for you, it's almost like a pretty slow burn. So to be honest, it was always a blueprint. Mm -hmm. Like I've always had that blueprint. Me yeah. and my team, when we talked about it years ago, we always had that blueprint of wanting to make sure that whatever we did wasn't this beautiful palm tree that like shot up and it's at the top and it looks beautiful but then when the hurricane comes because such is life <laughs> when the hurricane comes you're fucked and you could just get off the charts off this off that and no support no nothing no family no real roots mm. but what we wanted to do was make sure that we could establish a trunk and establishing a trunk is going on tour in a little van and starting off that way and making sure that that I'm connected with my fans, with the people that are making this life possible. Right. The trunk was understanding that f for how we take in music as a society, which is like right now, which is like a lot of DSPs, Spotify, Apple, mm -hmm. and taking in things on playlists, there's not a lot of artists that can get the world to stop for 45 minutes, 40 minutes to take in a project as a whole. There's artists that have earned that, mm -hmm. like Kendrick, like Beyonce, like like they that, that just oh, shoot, like, this is out. Let me put my phone on airplane mode. Let me really sage the room. Point. Let me just, and I feel like I wasn't, I wasn't there. I, to be honest, I still feel like I'm working to prove a lot of, a lot of myself to myself. Hmm. But what I'm happy about is that the people that have been rocking with me since Kittle are waiting for my album. The people that have been rocking with me since Kittle are going to sage the room and they're going to, they're going to make it a ceremony and they're going to be like, all right, the project's <laughs> out. We're here for this, and I appreciate that, and I love that, and that was always the goal, to make sure that I could say, listen, I give you these little appetizers, they're crack, right? Here's being <laughs> human in public, it's crack, right? And now I got the mother load. Right. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Just distributing goodies for the kids, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what do you feel like you need to prove to yourself? Because, you know, you, I feel like you've accomplished so much, and relatively short amount of time and i think like you know you you know you're gifted you know you're talented you know you have all you know you have everything it takes to be in the place that you are so what do you feel like you have left to prove to yourself 
I still make mistakes that I get mad at myself for that I feel like if I was more dedicated to perfecting my craft I wouldn't and um it's this it's like mistakes in pitch when I'm performing hmm. and when I watch other people who I admire like watching a Beyonce show or watching a Frank Ocean show and hearing not one note out of place right shows me where I need to improve gotcha excuse me like things like that and also like personal growth like becoming, just becoming a better human being and making sure that I stay grounded no matter how quick this moves mm-hmm. and kind of just staying appreciative even though it becomes a norm. Yeah. So like, like for example, I'm flying, th- we're here, we're here for three days doing promo for three days and then fly to London tomorrow and then going to be in London for a few days to do promo and then we go to Colombia for another show and then this and that and I could easily say, yo, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. But when I go home and I'm, and I'm unpacking my shit and I see my cashier name tag that I keep on the top of my shelf. Mm. It's just a moment that like helps ground me. Mm-hmm. But I wish I could have that every day. Right. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get caught up. Sometimes I get stressed about stupid shit that I shouldn't get stressed about because this is a gift. This is what I've been chasing my whole life. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to get perspective every day. And I feel like the more I grow, the more elevated I get, the more meditation I do, the more self-aware I become, the more that I'll be able to maintain that zen every day. Yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of I wanted to get into this because, like I said, w- another thing I love about, you know, your artistry as a whole are your music videos. Because I feel like there are certain, there are certain artists that... You can appreciate them for the music they put out, but then the visuals feel a bit lacking or they're not quite there. But with you, I feel like you always manage to deliver something that is that's a, either a match to your to the song that I never would have saw coming or something that really is kind of an, an art piece on its own. So, you know, what would you say? Like, are you that involved in, in making the visuals for your singles? Like, how, how involved are you in, in the process with, putting out these music videos um, like even like crazy for example which was just <laughs> god damn that was rough <laughs> that was rough. one of my favorites because i love that song and you did a beautiful cover of it but that video was like damn hard to watch <laughs> um i'm really fortunate to work with a dope team uh it it, it varies to be honest mm-hmm. there's times where a music video for example i like this will be out by then but um intruders mm-hmm. is one of the songs on the album I remember when I made that song saying, I want the video to be literal. Like, the analogies that are in here have to be depicted to the T, to the lyric. It has to be that. And that's one of my favorite music videos. I can't wait for that to come really? out. Really? My favorite. Actually, it, that shit, that might be my favorite music video. I love it so much. Mm. And then there are times where, for example, with Love in the Dark, mm-hmm. it was... Um, Beautiful video. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that, praise has to go to Mad Rock, has to go to Sayo, the director I worked with, has to go to the producers, has to go to the aides. It was such a group thing. And it was one of those songs. Sometimes it's easy, like I said, with intruders. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just know. Right. With Shutter Island, just clear. Right. But then Body Count's another example of that. Love in the Dark, I was like, it's so ethereal, it's so majestic, it's so far removed, it's so meta. And I don't know how to, how do you make something human that's godly? How do you bring that, you know? So I, I, I was having a difficult time. So we put it out to certain directors that I love and be like, hey, come with treatments. But I didn't want them, I didn't want to tell them that spiel. I didn't want to tell them earthly, mm-hmm. um, 
but godly. I didn't want to tell them nature. I didn't want to tell them any of those things because I feel like when if 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 it so happened that one of them was coming from the opposite end and we meet in the middle, it's something beautiful. Right. So I didn't want to taint their direction. But ironically, we ended up going with sales treatment and sales because it was so aligned with my original that I was like, oh, this is blessed. Like he gets it. And then he took a whole new spin on it because in my head I wasn't seeing purples. Mm. In my head I wasn't seeing that, but he was. So right. I'm I'm really fortunate to be able to collaborate with directors that have such vision but such a collaborative attitude that it just becomes like m this child that belongs to the community right body count was like that too body count me mauricio my manager um was busy in that room too I'm busy my other manager peter huang was a director i work with oh, often wow. who did shutter island who did uh um gatekeeper uh katie who was one of the producers for mad rug was matt in there and Matt Power, who's another producer for Mad Rock. Right. We were all in a room that was this big for what? For like four hours? <laughs> four hours, a lie. Going to the whiteboard. This whiteboard looked like the Bible <laughs> just thrown on a wall. A million things scratched. It was rough. And we had finally come up with this idea because we were all like, how can we how can we encompass the idea of body count but not make it a cliche? How can we do it but not make it a telethon, an after school telethon? How can we all these things? And then we're sitting there and we think we have it. We're four hours in. And then in the fifth hour, I'm like, something doesn't feel right. It's not bloody. And I'm bloody. <laughs> it's not gory. And I'm gory. And then Peter goes, I got it. What about like a witch hunt? <laughs> and it was perfect. And it fit. It was right. just, it was lit, man. It was lit. So sometimes, sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's basic. And then sometimes it's very much a team effort. Right. Yeah. I'm, they're incredible. Everyone, ev like the directors I work with, Madwork, the production company I work with, right. they're dope. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, like, how would you say you are in a collaborative setting? Because I think, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of this, you know, music and, you know, somebody and, and someone's art can be very, very personal. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of, re like, relinquish that or even get, like, feedback without really taking it personally. So, mm -hmm. for you, when it comes to videos, when it comes to even songwriting, working with, you know, producers, whoever it might be, how are you in that collaborative space? Is, is that some, has that been something that you've had to... I guess like teach yourself how to be better at it or you just came into it with it being collaborative. Like how has that been for you? I I'm collaborative to an extent, to mm. be honest. Like because I love working with people that come into the room with that attitude, but Where does it stop? But that's extent? the thing. There has to be people that understand that I'm like, okay, this is my project. Mm -hmm. So if I don't like what you're doing, Ne no, next. Like yeah. let me see a different idea. Yeah. And if and it's just it just depends on the person because for example, if I'm walking into a writing room and I'm there as a writer and I know that I'm working with an artist and it's that that's the primary artist, mm -hmm. I know that no matter what I bring, I am going to mold to whatever their vision is mm -hmm. because that's their room. They're, they're the captain of that room, yeah. and I have to respect that. I work with people that respect that when they come into my room, you know? Right. And if they don't, then it's not a bad thing because there are some artists that prefer to relinquish some of the reins and, and to, to let go of, of the reins mm -hmm. and let someone else be the captain to mm -hmm. their movie. I love collaborating. I wouldn't be able to do anything I'm doing without the team, but the team that I work with are very understanding that this is sacred to me. Mm -hmm. It's sacred. 
So it has to like be aligned. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. So I, I'm collaborative, but to an extent, there's been relationships where we've tried to do collaborations and we both respectfully say, oh, we can't do this because they're too sacred. They're mm. too sacred with theirs and they want to make sure it's their vision, but uh, this is my room. So mm-hmm. you got to go to your room to get your vision done. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I get you. It's no, that's time. fair. And you know, when you think about just your creativity and creative process as a whole, what would you say is your biggest roadblock? Is there one thing about your process that you feel is a constant like sticking point for you? I Something hate that, mixing. You know, I hate mastering. Why is that? I fucking I just hate it. <laughs> I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Why? Because <laughs> for the, okay, so for the people who for the listeners who don't know what that process is like, why do you hate it so much? And like, just I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. There's a lot of opinions. <laughs> you have to be meticulous. Like, if you're good about your shit, you have to be meticulous. Mm-hmm. So you're listening on a laptop, you're listening on headphones, you're listening in a car, you're listening on TV, you're listening on different types, not just beats, then you got to listen on your ear pods. And then once all that's good, then you apply it to different songs. But then if this song sounds different with these settings, then we got to switch it, then you got to hear it all <laughs> as a whole. And then if you're doing transitions in the album, like it's just, it just... Uh, like minutia, like that oh, kind of thing. Yeah. It's tedious, man. It's tedious to have to call back and be like, hey, this hi-hat sounds a little out of place than that hi-hat. Like, could you turn that one up a little bit and make it bright? It's just, I just don't like it. It's <laughs> fair. I, like it. I was going to say, I feel like I'm traumatizing you right now, so you don't have to talk about it anymore. Thank you. I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy that I could, tra- like, I've, I've learned to be more trusting with that, where I yeah. was like, I used to be involved in the early stages of, of like this and that and that and then having a group chat and my managers be like yeah but this hi-hat sounds more and then my my <clears throat> like jeremiah one my nrs be like what but this and i'm like you know what y'all just like you guys send it and then send it to me and then i'll have the final say when i'm like this that's why i'm not going back and forth right. about shit you know what i mean no i guess that you. that's a way that i was able to cope <laughs> with it a little bit but i still fucking hate it <laughs> i hate it how have you come to define creativity freedom Hmm. creativity for me is freedom it's not feeling restrained not feeling restrained to somebody else's idea of what the vision should be not feeling restrained to people's perception of who I am and the kind of music I need to be making not feeling restrained for what I should wear and what certain people think that I need to be wearing to certain events like creativity is freedom to express in any medium whether it's music whether it's what I wear whether it's what I sp- how I speak whether it's what I read it's freedom and you feel you have that in your career right now? Yes. Dope. I do. I'm happy about that. That's something sacred. That's something I've made sure has has stayed sacred. When we partnered with the label, I was really happy that Kittle was done. When we partnered with the label, Kittle was done. The 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 higher ground in that, the benefit of that was that we walked in saying, This is it. This needs to stay this. It needs to stay sacred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that no one could tell us, You should do this or this is what you look like or this is the kind of music like nope. This is it. Right. You done it right or not? You know? Yeah. yeah. God, well, I feel like that's inspiring for me because I that's a real that's a really good answer, and I feel like I feel the same way in a sense because I think you know just as you said that it really is this freeing aspect of not being held to any any standards or judgments, and you can just create, you can just be. Yeah. And that's really dope. Just be. <sighs> Thank you. No I really problem, appreciate man. it. This is great. Hey. Oh, man. 
Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Finey.